Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Great to have you here with me today. Today, I'm joined by Rana Kodahi of The Selling Academy, and we're going to be talking all about how you can grow your business through the process of sales. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation because Rana is an expert in sales for non-sales people. So Rana, thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you, Ben, for having me. And it's great to be hearing another Australian accent there because I'm, as you know, based over in Ireland. So uh, we stand out a little bit. Nice to be having a conversation in the common accent anyway. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I feel sorry for you in Ireland. I can't understand the Irish people. They've got a very strong accent. <laughs> yeah, it depends where you go. I'm getting used to it yeah. now though. Uh, let's, let's jump right on in then, Ron, if that's okay. Yeah, perfect. Good stuff. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your background and why you started the Selling Academy? So my background is quite diverse. I started off as an actor filmmaker. Then I fell into sales uh, just naturally because I loved making cold calls and going out there and just I loved kind of chasing business. So then I worked in sales and I worked a bit in recruitment. Uh, and then I did this uh, course, if you've heard of NLP, Neuro Linguistic yep. Programming. Yep. I was there and I had no intention to start my business. I was uh, in the UK, my visa had run out and I just stayed six extra months doing some personal development. And one day the teacher was talking about how we can start our own business. And I just thought I can do this. When I go back to Australia, I'm going to start my business. I named my business. It was called Limitless Minds. And initially it was a learning development because I've also worked in learning development. So it had every kind of course you can think of. Right. It had, you know, uh, communication, conflict management, whatever. And it also had sales. And the only course that was really selling was the sales course. And it was selling to my niche where I worked, which is employment services, because I had a lot of connections there. What's employment services? Employment services is those job service providers like Welfare to Work in the UK that help uh, unemployed people into work, whether they have disabilities or they're disadvantaged. So I noticed that like there was a gap in the market where there was a lot of kind of case managers, uh, people that loved helping people like counsellors that were hired into these roles, but they had to make a lot of cold calls. They had to go out door knocking. They had to market job seekers into work. And a lot of them had no sales skills or were very scared to pick up the phone. So I kind of, that's the course I was selling. And slowly I started to kind of niche down into employment services. And then also niche out into selling for non-salespeople because I started getting clients from different industries, whether it was banks or, you know, IT, uh, you know, consultants, management consultants, etc. Yeah. So that's hopefully that's yeah. the background. Not, not very interesting though. <laughs> no, it is. And, and you, you can't get much more sales for non-salespeople than, than the people who are working in an industry where they're just trying to help people get back into work, that altruistic side of things because... I'm sure they went into that to try and help people, not to sell stuff, right? Oh, yeah. And some of them don't even get told that it's a sales job and they get a huge shock. Uh, Yeah, so they get a huge shock and they're kind of stuck in this job, some of them. They don't know what to do because they love helping people because there is the helping people side. But also you can't help people without really 
picking up the phone or marketing or sending emails or, you know, on LinkedIn messaging employers, it's or just putting your name out there. You can't do that. Mm. So, and the government's quite tough. Like they'll take away your con the job service provider contract. Like there's hundreds of providers that have shut down over the years because they, you have to be a, I think a three star or above right. to keep your contract. So if you're a below three star, you're not going to keep your contract and they'll shut you down hundreds and thousands of people that work in those jobs lose, you know, whether it's in the UK, Australia, Canada, they lose their jobs because, uh, you know, they're not doing well. So it really impacts everyone sales. If you're not selling, if you don't know how to sell, it impacts your, your colleagues, impacts the provider, impacts, impacts the job seekers. So it's so important. That's so extreme. So people go in to help people and then they're actually, (laughs) wow. Um, so I was going to ask you some questions about process and ways to get clients, but if I pull it back one step, I imagine you probably start with some mindset work. Would that be right? Because that's a big jump from helping or consulting in the HR industry, uh, helping employers to improve their organizations to actually selling those services. Oh, uh, yeah. So I, my courses, like a lot, I had someone ask me this, a few days ago. He said to me, he's a sales manager, and he said, look, I've taught my staff how to overcome objections. I've taught them everything that you taught them. But for eight months, I could not get through to them. And he's a great salesperson and he's a great trainer. He said, what is it that you, you're teaching them exactly the same things I taught them, but why are they so motivated leaving your coaching sessions or they want to pick up the phone? I said, because when I'm teaching in the skills, I'm using mindset um, in there. I'm getting a buy-in. I'm using like change management. I'm not just going in and just teaching how to sell. I'm really delving deep into their psyche and getting a buy-in from them and like how they make the impact, the motivation. So I really put an emphasis on mindset before anything. And sometimes I don't even know that I'm teaching them mindset, but it's part of every um, kind of module that I teach. There's something in there. Yeah. So what do you do if someone has left the corporate world? I think back to my days when I was uh, having a great old time in a, in a big company getting jet-setting around the States, Europe, wherever it may be, and doing all kinds of interesting work to when I set up my own shop and I'm sitting there in an empty office and the phone's not ringing because I've just started. How do you help people cross that barrier? What should they start with? So I've got a great example of this. When I was working for a guy, so I was hired initially, how my sales career started, and I'll tell you how to do it because it's just a perfect example. My sales career didn't start in sales. I started as a receptionist because I wanted to be an actor, right? So I got a job answering the phones for this guy in a warehouse. He just bought uh, hundreds and thousands, even probably millions of dollars worth of uh, bathroom products to sell to builders. And he hired me to sit in this warehouse and he said, here's a phone, here's a computer. Your job is just to answer the phone and do some filing. For one month, the phone did not ring. The guy had the perfect website. He had all these flyers, everything. The phone did not ring. So I'm thinking, shit, I'm going to lose my job. What, like, what's going on? So I just, and I picked up the phone. I got the yellow pages. I picked up the phone. I started calling all the building, construction companies, the architects, the project managers. I started setting up meetings with them. Then I went out uh, in his unit and I started visiting them and even going and just searching for construction sites that were in pre, like when they just started building and trying to sell them these bathroom products at pre-construction prices. So my first sales was 300,000 and then I made him like a few million dollars in a few months. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like if you just start, 
you need to get on the phone, you need to go out there, you need to go door knocking because sometimes you may not know about marketing, you may not have the budget. Of course, marketing is so important and they need people like you to help them. But sometimes it's just if you're B2B, like you're selling to businesses, it's not just marketing, you need sales as well because it's very hard to just, you know, put a Facebook ad and make that successful. You know, people, you, people are not getting out their credit card and spending $80 on a purchase with one or two decision makers. It's multiple decision makers. It's very complex. And that's when you need the sales skills as well as the marketing skills. You know, marketing is so important, but also the sales is critical. Yeah. And yeah, so, I mean, that's just a perfect example of me. I didn't know about sales. I didn't know what I was doing, but I had confidence. I was just going out there, door knocking, making cold calls, sending a few emails and, you know, I eventually I sold in a few weeks. That's brilliant. I love it. And yeah. You don't need to apologize. I agree that uh, marketing and sales, they just need to work in tandem. But I'm a big believer in doing inbound and outbound marketing efforts and that outbound may be picking up the phone, emailing, LinkedIn, all sorts of different things, but not just yeah. sitting back and hoping that someone visits your website. And then I mean, for B2B, it's critical. For B2C, maybe you might not need to get on, get on the phone and, you, you know, like, because if B2C, if somebody can make a purchasing decision and it's a very low cost, uh, high volume, like you're selling high volume. Say you're selling a $48 course, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to waste time sitting there messaging people on LinkedIn or, uh, or making cold calls or door knocking. It's not worth the time or the return on investment. Running a good Facebook ad and targeting the right people would do the job. That's just my opinion of what I've seen and what I've experienced. But if you're selling, say, consulting, right? You're a consultant. You want to target businesses. Running a Facebook ad, sometimes it could work. I mean, if you know about pixels and, you know, people visiting. But also it's important to really get out there and have those conversations, attend those networking events, yeah. get on LinkedIn, message people, um, build your personal brand, uh, write blogs, do podcasts. Like all this kind of stuff is matters so much. So true. What if you were starting out as a new HR consultant or you were joining a new HR tech startup? There's so much out there. There's so many options to choose from. What would be your plan of attack to get new employer clients? So you're just starting out, right? Yeah. You're just starting out. Okay, so it's very similar to when I started out. I was, I had a training company and my uh, most decision makers I was dealing with were HR managers, learning development managers and middle managers. So the plan of attack for me, what I did was on my LinkedIn, I just did this intuitively, right? And I started just connecting with people within that niche. So what is the niche that you are targeting? What industry is it? For example, uh, let's go with a, I don't know, a training company that runs uh, presentation skills, courses and communication programs for staff. Okay. But what is there in a specific industry? Because I would really focus on one industry, me personally, yep. or two or three. I'm making so this up as I go, but I 100% yeah, yeah, yeah. it's best to yeah, so, no so for example, say financial services, right? right. There's yep. APMG, PwC, all the small consulting firms. Yep. There's hundreds of them around the world. And I would start not just adding decision makers and connecting with them on LinkedIn. I would start adding the influencers, the staff, the, the receptionists, every, anyone that works there and knows other people there. That's good. I would... Yeah, so I would keep my LinkedIn very niche and tight. Like 80% of my connections should be within the... So, for example, say I'm just working within uh, Dublin. Yeah. That's all I want to work with. Or I would just connect with people within Dublin. I would 
but it doesn't mean that you don't connect with outsiders around the world, but I think 70 to 80% should be around the demographic. Mm-hmm. And trust me, it's not about going viral. It's not about getting huge reach. It's about keeping your pipeline tight on LinkedIn. If you have a niche, because I've had both, I've had the niche tight pipeline and I've had the viral, I've got the, you know, the viral going crazy around the world. And um, when I was getting inbound more, it was when I kept my pipeline tight and I didn't have a lot of people, you know, for example, now I can get a few hundred likes on LinkedIn, right? Mm. From any random person. But previously when I had a, a tight niche, I got 20 likes. And those 20 likes, I had always, always one person, a decision maker going to my website or messaging me on LinkedIn, wanting to find out more about my courses because they could relate to what I was selling them. So 20 qualified leads liking your niche leads, liking your content on LinkedIn is a way more effective than hundreds and thousands of random people around the world. So the the LinkedIn strategy, I don't want to dive it too much. Then I would start reaching. So there's two types of marketing I do on LinkedIn. I need to firstly generate leads so I need to do outreach at the same time I need to build a personal brand without the personal brand without creating a content when you uh, send messages they're not going to be as effective because I've done both as well I never used to post a lot of content on LinkedIn I never built my reputation or as the authority in sales right I never did that so when I was reaching a lot of people before and messaging them I got ignored a lot of times because they were like who is she I don't know her when I really tapped into the personal branding, the authority, building my reputation in sales, I started getting a lot of people responding to my messages. And obviously, I've done the spam, the, the sending, you know, and that's wrong as well. So when you send, if you're a consultant initially, don't just spam people. Send a connection request with a nice message. Then maybe uh, a few days later, send them another message just asking a little bit more about them, how you can help them or send them something of interest. Uh, Obviously, no, second message is like, thank you for connecting. And then maybe something of interest, like maybe a video or something they might like. And then the last message is, you know, go for the kill. Tell them what it is that you do, how you can solve their problem, but don't try and sell on LinkedIn. It's about trying to take that conversation off LinkedIn. And then the personal branding, just be very targeted and focused in your content. So if you are the expert in HR, but in a specific industry, say manufacturing. That's all you should, most of the time, you should be talking about that, right? Because once your content starts to delve out into poetry and, (laughs) you know, your depression and this and that, uh, people are going to get confused. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm not, I I still share things that I'm interested in because it makes me human, but a lot of your content should be very focused. So that's a LinkedIn strategy, but also you can't, rely just on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is one of the touch points and there's a calling. I really truly believe in getting on the phone and talking to people. Uh, If you don't want to do it, hire someone that can do it, set appointments for you. Uh, I believe when you first don't have the budget to go out and door knocking, I've gone to cities. When I train, I stay an extra day in the city in a new city and I go, I, I hire a car and I go door knocking to all the employment service providers. I don't get that. Like I might reach 10 in the day and then I just get their business cards and then I add them, you know, into um, if I have a conversation with them, I would just add them into my sales funnel. So there's a lot of touch points and then eventually you'll start to see people coming to you 
And the email marketing is so important for me as well. That has really got me a lot of business. So, I mean, you as a marketer understand it. So write emails. I think I've been talking a lot. This is great. No, no, no. This is fantastic. <laughs> okay. Okay. The last thing is write emails about their industry and how you can solve their problems. So my emails and employment services get op a high open rate, about 27 to 30%. I mean, that's pretty good. No, yeah? it is. It's good in the industry. Yep. So, I mean, because it says the average is 15. I'm not like a huge expert in email marketing, but I do know that once a week I send out an article to uh, my database. Uh -huh. So, start also, I didn't start building a database initially, so that was a mistake. If I could go back, I would build a huge database and I, I send automated messages. So, now in the industry, in employment services, I've got managers saying to me, Oh, like we're gonna. Um, we've been sending your emails to all our staff, to thousands of staff. I've got some managers that have opened up my emails ninety-three percent of the time that are coming to me and doing. I didn't even know. I just checked them out after I sold to them. I go. I wonder if they're in my email marketing list. Like I didn't even know they're there. Yeah. And then I noticed that they've been opening my email for ninety-three um, percent for a year. So I've been nurturing them. So it's not just like I get on the phone, I'm going to make a call, I'm going to close people. It's just about building awareness, yeah. gathering information and creating relationships and using all the touch points of marketing from blogs, video, phone, you know, outreach, everything you can until uh, you start getting that momentum. And it doesn't happen overnight. Definitely. It takes, definitely. you need at least, uh, you know, you're a new consultant, I would say six months to a year of savings because it's very difficult out there. You're not going to... Unless you really get lucky and meet somebody like a CEO that's going to give you lots of work initially, it's not easy. It's just not. And that's, yeah. That's really <laughs> that good. Was like a long, that was like a long response. I think because I'm just so passionate about when people <laughs> ask me, I'm just like, because I've done all the mistakes. Like I've ran Facebook ads for B2B. And yeah, like, yeah. I didn't even know what I was doing. Oh, and I've done LinkedIn ads and, and so on. So I understand. I, yeah. I did notice, I noted the passion when you said that you loved cold calling. That, that got me at the start. I thought, hang I mean, on, what's going to go on here? <laughs> you don't have to look at it like cold calling. You can just look at it as a converse. The thing is cold calling is I don't just, if you're calling houses, consumers, B2C, that's annoying. I think yes. that's dead. Yes. But when you're calling businesses, like there's no way you're going to close them because I they're agree. not the only decision maker. You're just there to make an introduction, to tell them you're out there, send them an email, Get their email, put them into your database. So, you know, I've, I've gotten email addresses that have gone into my um, what, what, email marketing and I've closed for high ticket uh, sales, you know, like just from Definitely. that one call, one call that I made. Wow. So, yeah. You've mentioned quite a lot of different things there that all combine. And for me, I, I mentioned I like the inbound and outbound or another way to phrase it is fast and slow. So if you're going to post stuff on LinkedIn to raise your profile and things like that, for me, that's a slower approach. It's very important because it then yeah. means when you're doing your outbound stuff, uh, your messaging or your calls and things, they can then look you up and say, oh, wow, this person knows what they're talking about. So that exactly. combination is really important. And on the email thing, I 100% agree with you that every business should start as soon as they can to build up that list. For me, the saying or the proverb, whatever it is, you don't start digging a well when you're thirsty. It's a yeah. thing that builds up over time. And, and you can, as you said, you can get new clients 
who have been on your mailing list for a year and you didn't even know about it. Can I turn to an issue that I hear about from consultants and people in HR-related businesses is when they do actually have that conversation, that first sales meeting or the discovery call, whatever you want to call it, a lot of people who come out of the corporate world find that difficult because they see that as, a oh, I need to be showing off my knowledge or teaching them or resolving their problem on the call or in Mm -hmm. the face-to-face meeting. How do you suggest they handle that meeting? I think they need to go in there like as if they're an investigator that doesn't know anything. Right. Because as soon as they start pitching, they'll start pitching the wrong thing. And it's in our human nature really to want to give them the... Like I've had clients or prospects that I've gone to sales meetings and they say to me, look, I don't have a lot of time. Just show me what you have. And hmm. it, it's so easy for me to like, yes, let me show you. I want to do the, my presence. And I've, don't get me wrong. I've done that. I teach how not to do that. And sometimes I've stuffed up and I've done it because it's just a habit, a bad habit. And I think it's really important to hold back and say, look, I can't really help you unless I understand what your issues are. And if I'm the right person to help you or if, you're the right person for us to help. So do you mind if I just ask you a few questions? I know you're in a hurry, but I need to ask you these questions and always go prepared with some discovery questions to be able to understand the issues. It's so important. Yeah, definitely. And I've actually found that when you do that, they, I don't know, respect you more or they're, they take you more seriously as opposed to someone who's begging to be able to give their presentation. Makes sense? Yeah. Okay. So people are more likely to buy when they're talking than when you're talking. And people, you should never ever start beginning any, like give any solutions or solve any problems before your client articulates what they want or they need or what their problems are. And a lot of people don't get that or they understand it in a theory, in theory, but it's so difficult to put into practice because we as humans, and it's in our human nature to want to solve. So I would imagine myself, you know, like if have you ever done life coaching or psych, you studied like some form of psychology? Yeah, I've done or you've seen, yeah. yeah, so a lot of them teach you how not to solve the, the person's problem when they yeah. go and see you, right? Absolutely. And yeah. I could have somebody that comes in, I'm a psychologist, for example, and they say to me, well, my husband... Uh, you know, he's beating me and he's an alcoholic. Now, a psych- good psychologist would never say, of course, we know that this person needs to leave their husband. And sometimes we know it before they, but it has to come from them. And great sales people understand that sometimes the client needs to articulate what they need and how it's going to help them and how it's going to benefit them rather than me telling them as well. Definitely. Yeah. So what are the good questions to ask in that meeting? What are the investigative things that they should be probing? So, I mean, look, I don't go in so to plan, but I think, okay, for example, for me, when somebody asks me to come in, it's obviously they're having some problems, whether it's because whether it's to do with the staff not selling or the confidence of the staff. So I think it's really important to like ask them, so tell me what's going on and what are the results you want to get or what are the issues that you're having? And, you, you know, you've worked in learning development before? Uh, yeah, within an HR function, yeah. Okay, so like, okay, so in learning development, they do learning needs analysis. Yeah. So for me, I do a discovery, but also a learning needs analysis. And delve into it that way. Yeah. So yeah. like delve into it, I would like maybe ask them, okay, so in an ideal world, like what would you like to see happen in your business? 
or what is currently like asking them what's going on could get them and just don't just ask them what's going on and go to your next question. So tell me more. Well, why do you, how does that make you feel? Or why do you feel like that? Or what would you like to see change? So add on questions. What do you call them? Those follow, follow on questions. Yep. They are so important. And even like, so for example, if they say, say, okay, so how, why did you call me? How do you think that I'm going to help you? And they'll tell you what the benefits of you helping them. Or if you're not the right person, they might not tell you. Yeah. Actually, for people listening, that's such a great question to ask because whenever I've asked that or something similar, it almost leads to them answering their own question and leading themselves into hiring you. It's a funny one. Yeah, because I think it's important for, the, for it to come from them and you're, you're spot on there. It's so important for it to come from them and to know why they have called you in rather than the consultant. Sometimes they say, look, you're not the only consultant I'm talking to. I, I've spoken to Gary down the road. And we're just looking to see, uh, just where we're shopping around and they're honest and that's fine too. So it's really important to understand that sometimes if they go with, that means that they just had better rapport. Like there's nothing really you can do. I wouldn't try and to be somebody else or try and use tricks or whatever. It's just, that's just, just the way it is. Yeah. Or sometimes Gary could help because some, at the same time, I would never try and get a client to use my services if they're not a hundred percent No. because that could backfire and that could also cause me a lot of grief in the long term and cost me a lot of money and could even cost me my business. Sure. So sometimes it's, if you feel that the client is not, for example, I've had clients that I've gone to see and I knew that I didn't understand much about their industry or it was just, a, uh, they were asking for things I had no experience in. So I could have easily gone on YouTube and Google and you know what, I could have done a semi good job if I wanted to, but I just thought this is just too much work for me and it's not worth it. And it's not worth the headache. And just in case I'm not going to, you know, it's, I don't feel it's ethical for me. I'm not going to do the best job. So it's really, it's important. Like we can't do everything. And sometimes people think that they can do everything. Mm. You know, I've actually delivered leadership courses. I used to work for KPMG and I used to deliver leadership courses. But at the same time, um, if someone asked me, can you deliver leadership courses? I would say no, because I'm now like I'm doing sales training and I've, I do have leadership experience in training, but I don't have this high level leadership uh, experience where some other people that I know and I can refer to, refer them on, if that makes sense. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, on the, on the referring part of things, on the flip side, if you take on work that doesn't fit, uh, where you can't bring your best, then you're not going to get the referrals. So you're not going to get that cycle of uh, people bringing in other people. So that's important to choose a niche and then to serve it well. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And you just wear yourself out because consulting, as you know, I mean, I do consulting, I do mostly training and coaching, but I do take on a few consulting gigs. Consulting like doesn't finish when you go home from, uh, you know, if you're working on site, it doesn't finish when at five. For me, it finishes at 12 or 1 a.m. when I have to take all the work home and do the reports and do the analysis and like all this kind of stuff and work on the weekends when I'm trying to write the workshops for them that I have to deliver based on my discovery. So it's pretty intense. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Can I turn to an issue that I know a lot of consultants and people trying to do business development for HR tech firms might face? And that is when they go in, they have a meeting or meetings, it's gone fantastically well, everyone's high-fiving and thinking this is going to be the best project ever. 
And then they yeah. don't actually hear back from the client or prospective client. You know, it goes dark or they go silent. They're not quite sure what to do next or what went wrong. What are your thoughts on that situation? So there could be a few possibilities. One is the person that you were talking to is not the actual decision maker. The one, because sometimes the you get called in by middle managers that want to be decision makers or just want to waste your time because they have nothing better to do. Another one is they are too scared. Like, you know, they're putting on a front. So everything's gone well. Yeah. And you thought everything's going well. They didn't want to buy it. They don't have the budget or whatever, but they're just putting on a front because they want to be polite. You know, it's like dating. You go on a date. Have I don't know if you've ever done it. I've been on dates where everything's going amazing. The person's like amazing. They're, they're smiling. They're flirting with me. They even hold my hand and suddenly I don't hear from them ever again because they obviously didn't have the courage to say, look, it's, and I've done it to myself, yeah? And then the third one is, um, it's not, so they're very, like I've had it where they're very busy and there's just a few decision makers and you just have to keep on following up. So not following up in a stalking way, mm. but I've had them come back to me six months later. So just message them, stay on top. That's why LinkedIn is so important because you stay on top of their mind and or another time they could have gone, okay, another scenario is they've gone back, they want it, and then a, a senior decision maker like the CFO says no, but they don't know how to say no to you. Uh -huh. I mean, that's just a few possibilities. Yeah, I've experienced all of those uh, and sometimes on, on either side of the situation. I know, uh, for instance, a senior leader might send you in first to, I don't know, vet the supplier or to see if it, it's actually a good fit or not. And that can yeah. either kill it, as in, eh, no, thanks, it's not going to work for us, but you're not, they're too scared to tell you whatever. Or alternatively, and this can be a, a worse situ situation, is where you've done a good job and you've convinced the intermediary person that this is a good solution, but they then take the solution back to their boss and they don't do half as good a job as you could have done to sell it to them. Yeah. So you, yeah. And that's, that's why the, the boss, decision maker, right? Yeah, the boss should always be there. The decision maker should ideally be in that meeting. Yeah. I mean, if you're just starting out and you have a lot of time on your hands, then there's nothing wrong with you trying to uh, influence and build relationships with inside champions. So I'm not one of those sales uh, trainers that says, don't, don't not talk to anyone that's not the decision maker. Because I, don't, I think I've talked to people that were very like frontline and they were, they were able to influence internal decision makers. And I spent a lot of time with the front line, like, you know, uh, building relationships, not because I was trying to sell to them, but because I genuinely like these people. Yeah. You're, you're someone that's strapped for time. No, don't waste your time. Yeah. So I noted that you, you said earlier when you're talking about LinkedIn, that you, you chose a, a particular area and an industry and then you, the companies within that you connected with, not just the person you're aiming for, but the people around them from reception to back office, front office, whatever it may be. Yeah, because not, they're all connected to each other in this yeah. industry. And if they like one of your posts, it goes out to other people and, you know, they can also help you. Yeah, an excellent point there. I, I would say most people don't do that. I would say they just work out who's the target person in that company and then go for that type of person and forget everyone else around them. And that's an opportunity lost. Yeah, no, I see that happen a lot as well. Gosh. Last couple of questions, the fear factor. I mean, I love that story about <laughs> you go into a business running reception and the phone's not ringing, so you work out a way to do it, but you had to jump the barrier of fear. 
of getting out there and calling or visiting people? What about people who are wonderful consultants or running a brilliant new tech business, whatever it may be, but have that fear to conquer before they can get out there and, and talk to people? Okay, so I mean, I've worked with a lot of these types of people and don't get me wrong. It's not like I think when I was younger, I was about 23 at that time. I had no fear. <laughs> As you get older, you just have more fear because you have faced, I don't know, like you've seen things on different sides. So I know, know how it feels like for someone to annoy me and give me a call, call me, right? So I know it's annoying. Maybe if I was, but I think what I do is I, I do accept, I have to ex expect rejection. If I don't expect rejection, then I'm going to be shocked. I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be uh, offended. Yeah. So I know, I'm, I say to myself, you know what, 90% of people are going to reject you. Every time you send an email, you know, when I send my email marketing, I know people are rolling their eyes. I know people are putting me in spam. I know when I send people uh, all my messages on LinkedIn, there are people that are getting annoyed. I know that and I accept that and I don't really care. Hmm. That's the number one to accept rejection. And then I think, do I care? And then number two is like, do I care more about being successful and helping people or do I care more about being rejected? So if I care more about, if I care more about being um, rejected and not my business or success or helping other people in sales, then I'm not going to succeed. Yeah. And then I'm going to, so I, it's always better to think about the higher picture. Like, why am I doing this? Think about, you know, whether you want to put your children in private schools, you don't want to lose your house. Think about your yeah. family things high, then think about the people. Like if you actually believe, so for me, I believe in what I'm selling. I've had people that I've got a program which is called selling for non-sales people online. And I've had people make hundreds and thousands of dollars just because they followed the action plans. Nothing special. You know, it's, it's, I'm not saying like my materials are more special, but they followed my program yeah. and it's made them money. So I actually believe in my program. You have to believe in it. And if you don't believe in what you're selling, you are going to be scared of rejection. And it comes down to even the belief, self-belief and the belief in the product. So well. true. Uh, and a couple of points there. One is you're saying you have to accept rejection because you believe in what you're selling. But in your defense, if you like, you spoke earlier about it's not just getting in people's faces with a sales message from the moment you meet them. It is about nurturing relationships, giving them information, resources. And then at some point when you're having, for instance, having taken a relationship away from LinkedIn into the real world or phone call or in person to then ask for a sale or then ask for a project. And that is at the point maybe where you might face yeah. the rejection, but it's not about, the whole Gordon Gecko in your face stuff. No, no, not at all. But you know something that's weird about me? I actually have less fear when I send out this. So if I've ever sent out a sales message without trying to build a relationship, mm. I find that uh, less intimidating than when I've built this whole relationship, then <laughs> I go in for the kill. Because sometimes I just like to tell people straight to the point, this is what I'm about. This is what I'm doing. And I'm trying, you know, you are a prospect. I'm trying to sell you. And they kind of respect that. Yeah. But sometimes I've done it where I've built this relationship and then I come to sell to them and they just, they don't like that. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's very difficult because I teach both techniques Yeah. and it's still kind of difficult because I don't want people to think I want to build, when I build relationships and I'm sure you do the same. I want to build genuine relationships. I, when I send out an article or I help out people, 
I don't look at them as, oh, this is a prospect or this is somebody I want to sell to. I think about them. I want to help them. And if there's business that comes out of it, I can, you know, it comes out of it. Because I've actually had people try and, you know, they sent me that, hey, nice to connect message and the next message. And then they try and sell me and I'm like, I don't like that. So I don't know. It's like, it's strange. I'm still trying to figure it out because I do both. I do the nurturing and then I do the um, sending out not straight away. Like obviously I'm talking about people that have been connected to me for six months. I send them a message saying, Hey, this is what I'm about. This is what I do. Check out my stuff. Yeah. I don't try and uh, kind of nurture. I'm actually what are the your same. On that? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm the same. I've actually done both. And the, yeah. the first few business deals that I ever signed or proceeded with, they were from direct emails, handwritten emails, if you like sent. And I think the they first one was emails. an employment lawyer. So, you know, there's, in theory, they're scary people that they deal with law and then so contacting them out of the blue, that was a direct call to action. But equally, like I say, I like the fast and the slow approaches or the inbound and the outbound. You combine yeah. it uh, and you can do that with the email side of things to, to nurture the leads and through LinkedIn, through the content. So I definitely agree with you. Yeah. yeah. So I think if you're giving a lot of value on LinkedIn, you're someone that shares a lot of content and you reach out to somebody in six months randomly but they've been on your um linkedin for six months and you say this is what i'm about there's nothing wrong with that Mm -hmm. but if you're just going in for the kill as soon as you connect with somebody then no that's wrong because you haven't offered any value you haven't proven yourself you haven't why i mean why should they talk to you are you someone worth talking to we don't know right yeah interestingly one thing i don't talk about much in the marketing side of things but it's a big thing in the marketing industry is the whole test and measure or split test thing and so what that means is version a versus version b so for instance in those emails that i sent out years ago for my first deals where i got employment lawyers and things like that on board i ran split tests there i had i don't know a different subject line in the email to see which one would get open more and then uh, another version of short just straight to the point versus a, a bit of a a longer sales pitch if you like test and measure those things and you can do that in anything you you like whether it's a sales call or um, content on linkedin or whatever um so there you're never stuck doing one thing is is my point you can try different methods and then just see which ones work we've covered a lot of ground here and it's been really good you probably have seen lots of stuff out there that can help people What, what are your thoughts or have you got any tips on interesting people or books or whatever that HR businesses should check out in order to grow faster. Okay, so I mean, there is one book. It's not HR specific, but have you heard of the book, The Expert Secrets? No, I don't think so. Yeah, so The Expert Secrets is really good. What What is that one all, all about? So it's just about how to f- have a niche and what makes you stand out and how to be the expert. So it's nice. by a guy that, um, have you heard of ClickFunnels? Yeah, Brant- Brunson or something, Russell Brunson. Yeah, so yeah, that's him. So he wrote that. Expert Secrets. Yeah. And there's another, so also I would check out, there's, um, if you want really good sales experts that understand business to business, I would check out on LinkedIn, Tony Hughes. He writes, uh, and he's also got a book. I just forgot the name of the book, but he's got it there. It's something prospecting, fanatical. I think it's fanatical prospecting. I will find it. We'll stick it in the show notes. No problem. Yeah. So Tony Hughes, John Smybert. So, I'll get the spelling and stuff. Yeah, don't worry. M- uh, yes, John Smybert and Wayne Maloney. Uh-huh. I feel bad. They're all men. And <laughs> wait, Steve Hall. I have to give them a shout out. And Bernadette. And I'll, 
Bernadette, you'll see her in the show notes, Bernadette something. Uh-huh. Anyway, so these guys, they're um, from Australia and, you know, I don't want to give you the typical Grant Cardone and, you know, like kind of yeah. stuff because he's great. But if you want to talk about B2B, then these guys that understand the complex of how to sell uh, consulting or how to sell software, uh, it's not. So, yeah, they do understand the complex- understand complexity. It. Yeah. And they are say they're like me. They do a similar job to me. Like you can say they're my competitors if you want to go that far. But we work. I worked with them. We support each other, and you know, okay. I, I really, I really respect them. Uh, and so, just to to bring some gender balance to that list, what about you? If you want to check out my course, it's selling for non salespeople.com. That's it. And it's name. it's it's like a forty forty seven dollar course that you get for a year. Uh, there's 30 days of content. There's the most important is the action plans and it's for B2B. It's split into three parts, sales skills, how to do prospecting, LinkedIn, personal branding, reaching out on LinkedIn. And also the third part is the mindset and NLP and site, like how to really be fearless. So it's those three parts. And yeah, I think it's an amazing course I because I didn't just do it myself. I did it with a guy from America. His name is Michael Chapman. Uh-huh. Uh, he's really great on LinkedIn. He's a huge influencer and he's so knowledgeable and wise and he's got a lot of sales experience. Can you call out that website again? Sellingfornonsalespeople.com. Got it. Excellent. Rana, this has been fantastic and I'm sure people listening have been taking notes furiously because you've covered so much ground and given so many uh, good tips. So thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I feel very honored. To... <laughs> That's great. I'll check out your marketing stuff too because, yep. you know, I'm, I'm not great at marketing. When you talked about split testing, I started getting a bit, bit anxious going, I hate numbers. I don't, <laughs> I don't do this split testing stuff even though I should. <laughs> me too. That's just two <laughs> columns and add up the number at the end. I don't that's, do what I'm, that's what I'm sales. If I was like good at numbers and uh, the analytics, I would, I would have definitely gone into marketing because I actually love marketing as well. I mean, I do marketing, but not to that level. Do you know what? Before we here. sign off, you, you remind me of as a school kid, you had to fundraise for your school and you were given a big box of chocolates you had to sell. And it, it was almost like a, yeah, a subconscious split test thing going on. If I say this <laughs> to people... I know that mm, half of them say yes. And if I say the other one, geez, 75% of them say yes, or most people so say you were, yes. So you were marketing from when you were young, a child? Oh, I was child really? labor. There should have been some sort of protection, you know, brought in to look after me, but, you know, I'm alive <laughs> and well today. So. I know. That's, that's quite dangerous. I remember knocking on doors but on my own. <laughs> yeah, just thinking about it now. I was yeah. knocking on, like, you know, the flats when you go in and you knock on all the doors inside. Yeah. Gosh. The units. Yeah. Well, fearless then is the word, it seems. Or crazy. Who knows? Rana, thank you very much. I've taken up a lot of your valuable time, so I really appreciate it. And for everyone listening, make sure you go to sellingfornonsalespeople.com. Also, you can go to the show notes for any other links, and I'll dig out the names that we mentioned and covered there so you can go check them out. So, Rana, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Ben. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.